Hey folks, five years from now, you're going to be the exact same person as you are today, except for the people that you meet and the books that you read along the way. Welcome to the new Cattle Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Scott. This is the podcast that introduces you to the best and brightest professionals in today's cattle business. We have a very special guest that's going to join us for our inaugural podcast. He's a man that wears many different hats, but if we have to label him with only one title, I think the one that fits him the best is Coach. If you don't already know him as Coach, I'm going to make a formal formal introduction to you right now and welcome Mr. Jerry McPeak from Warner, Oklahoma. Jerry, welcome to Cattle Pros. Well, thank you, Jake. I appreciate that. I'm afraid that the, that the introduction might far excel the interview you're about to get, but thank you for what you did. I want to tell the folks before we start, by the way, there's not gonna, this is not visual, so uh, as you hear my voice, just picture Rip from Yellowstone. That's, that's what I look like. <laughs> and that's starting up this weekend, so very timely. Yeah, we're big Yellowstone people here, so so Rip, we're, we're honored to have you. No, that's funny, Coach. Well... Absolutely, and and to give people a little explanation about that introduction, um, we're going to talk about a lot of what you've done in your life, which is quite a long list, but maybe what you're best known as is a teacher to many, many people. Uh, Jerry McPeak, uh, some of you will know, recognize that name from the livestock judging world, both judging cattle shows all around the world, coaching champion livestock judging teams, which is probably where he was first given the, the nickname as Coach, uh, and now coaching uh, young people all across the country in his Be a Champ show cattle camps that he hosts every summer. But uh, probably more common than Jerry, people just call you Coach, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, you know, admittedly, I kind of like that. It, it kind of fits It kind of fits the way I want to be known, I guess, too. It's not so formal and uh, kind of fits what I'd like to be, I guess. I, I'm a teacher. When people ask, no matter what my job is, what I'm doing at the time, when people say, what do you do? I say, well, I'm a teacher. Now, right now, I'm doing whatever it is, but that's appropriate. Yeah, it's absolutely appropriate. I actually have that written down in my notes here, teacher at heart, if you could see those. And I think no matter what the job is today that you're doing, it, it all boils down to you being a teacher at heart, and uh, that's what so many of us appreciate. But let's share with people a little bit. We started talking about uh, careers and different hats that you've worn along the way. Coach, take us back a little bit and, and give folks that may not know you or may not know a lot of your history, take us back a little bit into your career path and some of the things that you've done along the way up until present day. Golly gee, you didn't give me preparation for that. <laughs> you know, most of what I've done is I'm just kind of standing there and, and somebody comes along and says, would you like to do this? And I'm like, yeah, hey, let's go try that. So uh, from very early, I wasn't afraid to go try things. It wasn't because I was so brave. It's just because people I knew from somewhere before would call me up and say, hey, let's go do this. So I'm like, okay, let's go try that. But when I got out of college, I went into the Navy for a while in Naval Aviation deal. And then from that, I was a, I was a county agent in Oklahoma. And then uh, I worked for Wilson and Company in there someplace, too, with a packing house. And then uh, from that, I, one of my old instructors from college asked me about, well, how do you like it? And I love being a county agent. But he said, hey, would you like to go to Kansas and work in a packing house and make 150% as much? And I said, yep, let's go do that. Well, I was there. They gave me an opportunity to run a background and growing yard. And that was fun. And so I tell people most of my career comes from being, uh, you know, I got fired a lot, which is really not true, but it sure sounds that way. You kids at college 
you get the college years to ask me that. How in the world? But, uh, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to, to do a lot of things, and that's really been my education. From that, well, from that, I came back to Oklahoma and worked for a, a feed company, a couple of different feed companies. And, and then uh, I had the opportunity to go to Connor State College, and I, I once turned it down, and I came back and did it. While I was there, uh, TV people, I, as a lark, I interviewed for a TV job, and they offered it to me, and, and I really didn't want the job. So I said, you know, I was just kidding. I really didn't want the job. I was just interviewing for fun. That wound up being a pretty good experience and something I learned a lot from as well. So from there, I, then I kept on teaching. Like you said, I got to judge shows and be around things and be around people fitting cattle. And uh, I've just been around so many good people. Uh, my life has been been filled with really, really, really good people who uh, who I learned from and uh, were just good folks. And that's been my life. Well, we count you. Was, I, I guess you're going to get around to that deal. I was state representative. That's kind of like being an alcoholic. I, I have rehab from being a state representative. By the way, <laughs> well, we don't tell everything, do we? No, <laughs> but that's true. You were uh, two terms. You served in uh, Oklahoma's uh, legislature as a state representative for your district, and um, and now you're back, kind of full circle, somewhat to where you started along the way. You still are uh, hosting your camps every summer and and working with a lot of youth now. Yeah, that's what we that's what we really really enjoy. I've been very fortunate to get to do that and. Uh, that's what we enjoy the most. We enjoy that the most. And you talked about the terms in the legislature. We served six terms in the legislature, which are just two-year terms, and, and we termed out there. Uh, people used to say, well, you must have done a good job. And I said, well, I don't think anybody won the job. That's why no one filed against me. But, uh, so I don't know if it was that, that it was that big a thing. But, yeah, the, the coaching the judging teams was – I really learned what my dad used to tell me. That's if, he said, if you enjoy what you're doing, you don't have to have as much money. And I absolutely craved ah, it. I, that's I mean, good. I got to be around it, some really, really great folks. And I, I mean, I craved it every day. It was nothing. I never dreaded going to work. Wow. What an experience that that is. And, and a lot of people, I bet, are raising their eyebrows right now who hear that. And I like that uh, saying that's worth writing down. If, and say that again. How did you say that? If you enjoy what you're doing, the money, the money really doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Not as my daddy said, my, yeah. My daddy used to always say, he said, all you're ever going to do with money is buy something that makes you happy. If you're happy with what you're working at, you don't have to have as much money. Wow, and I love that. If you're going to be a school teacher, that was certainly true. And, you know, you, to be candid with everyone, really, when I got later on in life, I realized there were some things that I wasn't able to give my family that other people did. Um, I, I sometimes regretted that, but I never, ever regretted a day that I went to teaching. And uh, the things that we did and the people I got to be around and the relationships that we had. And I mean, just a pure old fun. I mean, geez, Christmas, it was just fun going to work. You guys were funny, Jake. Well, in full disclosure, you know, you, you and I know we have a, uh, a past together and, and a lot of history together, but a lot of our listeners don't. So uh, along with many, 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 many other people, I was one of Jerry's uh, students on the livestock judging team. And um, that was back in 1994, Coach, when we graduated uh, and, and you recruited us to come out to Connor State College. And, and that's really where... Um, the most of our, the, the biggest part of our relationship started. I had been to some of your camps in high school as a camper, as a student, and was was trying to learn what you guys were teaching about fitting and showmanship there at the camps. But when we really got to know each other best was 
um, were, was on those livestock judging teams. And that's kind of where I want to jump in here and, and spend some time talking about that part of your career because that I know you've had some uh, unbelievable opportunities from being hands-on in the packing and, and background in business all the way to state legislature and seeing what that side of the business looks like. But in my opinion, where you maybe have had as much influence is right here um, in your capacity as coaching, whether it be on a team or at the camp. Would you agree? Yes, yes, very much so. I, I, it's a, I don't really understand that part about the impact, I don't think. Uh, I wasn't doing anything special. I was just doing what the good Lord put out there for me to do that day. And, and uh, we just did it just as hard as we could, as well as we could. And, and uh, we had some really good experiences. So we were, we were very fortunate to have some really good folks. I really mean that, by the way. And you, you let off that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at a little different angle, maybe than where you're headed here, Jake. But, you know, people have said nice things about my, my coaching. And one of the things that I can remember people telling me was, you know, Jerry, you're taking students that, uh, you know, they're not the, the top-line livestock judges, and you're beating these guys that, that are getting the best recruits. And what I really felt like, I was getting the best recruits. I just wasn't getting experienced recruits. I wasn't getting people who had judged a lot in high school. Sometimes I did, but but just like you and Blake, y'all are prime examples. Justin Stacy is no different. You didn't judge a lot, but y'all were more skilled than some of those who had so much success in high school. So, and I think this is true all through life. Sometimes people, people mistake uh, accomplishment or, or notoriety with skill when it's a lot of times it's just opportunity. So many people just didn't have the opportunity to do that. Had they had the opportunity, they too would have excelled. And, and we had, a, we, as you know, at Connors, we just had a, a whole plethora of those people who came through that were, that all they needed was the opportunity. They just need a little water thrown there. They had the capabilities. We just gave them the opportunity to be successful. And I think that's all the way through life sometimes. It's, it's like being a hero. Some of the stories we tell at camp about people, I, you know, don't mistake skill or ability with opportunity. Sure. Well, that's exactly the angle that I wanted, the road I wanted to go down, Jerry. And, and you know, it's kind of old hat to us, I guess, that we we know and appreciate the your style of coaching and the way that you coached and recruited at Connors. But so many people don't. And, and if you listen to this interview already, you've heard Jerry say two or three times, good people, surrounding myself with good people. Uh, good, honest folks, whatever. He never really talked about uh, extreme levels of talent or skill or, or capabilities. It was just good people that you tried to recruit to that team. And then you taught them what you wanted them to know or taught them what you thought we needed for those contests. And and what another thing I wrote down here, you said just a lot of folks needed a little encouragement, a little water thrown on them, I think you said. But when you saw a spark... I consider you maybe as good as anyone I've ever seen as being able to put some gas on that spark and create a fire. And And uh, I'm not trying to flatter you here, but it's the truth. A lot of people would agree with me. You're a master at motivation. You're Zig Ziglar level as far as I'm concerned. And and whether, it, you know, whether the experience with you was on a livestock judging team or at one of your camps, I think uh, people's impression is just the same as that you've got an ability to fire up and get the most out of every single either person on your team or kid in your camp. 
no matter what their, their personality style, their background, whether they're a blue chip name brand uh, individual who's come from a big fancy background and has a pedigree, or whether they're just the, the plainest old country kid and, and looking for a chance, you were always willing to work with, with any of those kids. And I think that's what stands out about your style. But tell us just a little bit more about your motivation, Jerry. Where does that come from, your ability to inspire? <laughs> you know, I think... I think it comes from Jake is my inability as a good Lord. You know, he doesn't make me near as smart as a lot of folks and not nearly as good looking and not as talented. You know, I couldn't play ball. I never did have any money. It wasn't very good looking. Didn't have anything. So what the good Lord gave me was just enough tenacity to just keep on going and not be smart enough to quit. Not, not to know when, when, we, when it couldn't be done. Um, and, you know, I, I think as you interview me, I, I'm, as I told you, I'm concerned about, what may what people may feel or see that part of my deal is it's just real it's not fancy it's it's just real and uh, maybe empathize uh, to a level but you said something about you know I was a greater influence on you when you came on the judging team and yet I remember you so well from when you were just a kid and you were influencing me then and I was thinking then about what Jake Scott was going to do it. If you remember, you and Blake thought you wanted to go to school someplace else. No, that's right. And I called you up and said, no, you're yeah. not going to go someplace <laughs> yeah. else. That's bull crap. Get your butt over here where you belong. And there is no uh, stretching of the truth in that statement. That's that's exactly how it happened. And I can still remember Blake Nelson, who, Jerry, we're going to interview on a later uh, episode of this podcast, the now CEO of the Maine Anju Association. But Blake Nelson and I both grew up in the same town in Oklahoma, nearby where Jerry was coaching at Connor State College, and and he got us both into his office, and and what he just told you was the that was about as long as the meeting was, and after that we kind of <laughs> looked at each other, and I said, well, I guess we're coming here, you know, <laughs> and that's really how it happened, and that's so funny that we all remember that, and it doesn't seem like that long ago. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the the thing that with the people, the motivation thing, uh, I'm I'm not sure every day is. Every day is new, and I just, you know, maybe maybe I was given the ability to feel, empathize uh, more. I, I don't know. I, I I can't. One time here at Connors in a leadership thing, they asked me to come and talk, and they they said, "How do you want to be remembered as a leader?" And I never ever thought about being a leader. I never, and I don't think about being a motivator. I, I don't. I don't. It's it's it's. I, I just want. These kids have so much abilities and so much future, and I can just see. I see, my gosh, this kid can be so much more than I've ever been. And it's just like you guys. <laughs> We're judging shows, and just like many of you are judging bigger shows than I ever judge, and people come to me and say, "Well, obviously, so and so is doing better than you. Look at all the things he judged." And what they don't know is they couldn't say anything that puffs me up more than saying that. Yeah. Because if I have done that, if if you guys. Are, and you are better. I love it. That, that would be that. That would. That's exactly. Man, you could. They couldn't have passed a higher compliment. But when they say that I recruited kids that had less ability, that, that's not true. I recruited really, really good kids that had a lot of ability, but just hadn't had the training or the opportunity to get there. And one of the things I used to talk about recruiting, one of the things they used to tell kids is that hadn't judged in high school. I'd say, if you can't learn it in two years, and I can't teach you in two years, and you can't learn, I can't coach. Uh, so, and that's what I really believed. I, I, you know, that was, and some of our greatest kids we had, 
Jake, some of the greatest young people we had that turned out to be some didn't didn't become great livestock judges, but by golly, they became great people, and well, they were they they were just good folks out there doing good things in the world now. Well, you don't we don't have enough time to go through it all, but um, if we could go back through the roster of people who. Uh, came through those livestock judging teams and and who you coached with your assistants and and I know you had a lot of good assistants around you too, but it would be literally a who's who elites in not only the cattle business but in about any other kind of business or walk of life. It it's pretty I would think for you pretty humbling. It's pretty um, impressive to a person like me, but to just see the people that did come out of that. Um, school that at the time I was there, Jerry, I think had about 2,000 students, you know, just a, a modest-sized uh, school there. But my goodness, the people that come through the program and what they've done since then, I think you have to agree, is pretty impressive. Well, I, it, the people are impressive, and it is humbling. It, it's, it's humbling that the kids come to the camp. It's humbling that people would come to the school. And something that I really sincerely believe, that I, I believe today, that if I was at Connor State College recruiting anyone, their lives should be better in two years having been at Connors than had they chosen Stanford or Harvard mm. or Texas A&M or Oklahoma State University. If we couldn't make their life better than it would be had they chosen someplace else, then they should have gone someplace else. Mm. Because the goal should be for these people who are teaching us to make those people's lives better, give them greater opportunity, however you do it, in that two years. And, and that's what we really believe. So... Sometimes I had to teach you guys to select cattle, perhaps that I didn't agree with what there was. I, I didn't. I mean, I came back from from Dodge City, Kansas, when they were picking cattle that were sixty-two inches tall that I knew would never grade choice that were wrong. But that's what we were doing. I even told you guys in class, you would. This yep. is wrong, but this is what we got to do to win. So we're going to go do it. But those are wrong kind of cattle. And people would tell me that you can't tell your kids that. I said I, I can't not tell them that. So, yeah, you know, and we appreciated that. And I think, you know, we're going to talk on this podcast a lot about culture. I've become a, a culture junkie, studying culture and talking about culture and trying to implement culture. But something that I loved, and you just hit on it, Jerry, something I really look back and love about my time on that judging team was the culture that we had. And there was sincerity, there was openness, there was honesty. And that's a great example of it, you know. Just exactly like Jerry said is how he would say it to us. I don't agree with how this place is going to go, but I know this is how it's going to go. So we're going to have to mark our cards this way. But it was more, I think, about your teaching was was broader than just getting a bunch of 50s on a card. You wanted the kids to really learn the right and wrong of the cattle business. And and that's pretty cool. I mean, I, it's a very easy, and I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. If I were in your shoes... I would probably slip up and do this, but I think it's easy for a lot of coaches to get wrapped up in the competition of it and sometimes forget the larger picture that you're teaching um, people are going to be in the livestock business potentially for the rest of their lives, and they need to know a little bit more, um, a broader view of the business other than what we're doing this month in the business. Well, I'm not sure that I did any more than anyone else, but that's absolutely true. I'm sure that I tell people all the time that I went to, people say, well, where did you get your education? I said, well, I went to Oklahoma State University. I got my education most of it in Dodge City, Kansas. <laughs> well, now, you'll know this, and I always forget it. How does the saying go, education is what you get when you don't have experience? Have you heard that? How does that go? Yeah, 
Unfo- I don't know how it goes, but unfortunately, you know what I'm talking it's about. Yeah. Bad experiences. yeah, exactly. There's something like that. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. I'm going to read you something that, uh, you know, I'm an old Alabama boy and I'm still an Alabama football fan. And if you're an Alabama football fan, you think Bear Bryant is the greatest coach. And, and I, I love to go back and watch him and listen to him. But I want to read you something that Bear Bryant said. And I think this really kind of nutshells how you, you approach the team and the kids there. Bear Bryant, the coach at uh, Alabama that coached so many national teams, said, I would rather have a player that had 75% talent but gave me 100% effort rather than a player that had 100% talent and only gave me 75% effort. Is that do – you, do you agree with that? Hey, first off, Jake – most of these people listen don't have any idea who Bear Bryant is unless they're from Alabama. <laughs> hey now, hey now. <laughs> that's that's going <laughs> to... Stepping on toes, but ab- Coach. <laughs> but absolutely so. Um, besides that, it's more enjoyable being around those mm. people. Those people that are giving all they've got, I mean, you just love being around them. Yeah. Even if even even if we don't get the job done, see me Christmas, look, look, we got scars and scrapes and we got to crap beat out of us but man look at what we did look at how much we and, and the being on that bus and you know you guys on my teams you guys would share if you had a, a nice way of saying something on some reason you would share it you would give it to the other person you didn't just keep it for yourself you gave it to someone else and they would do the same with you and if that was that was the the deal that that you guys did you you pulled for each other you sincerely did that i wish we had more of that in the world if I could, if I could pass along some things, that'd be one of the things I'd pass along. The trait that you haven't mentioned yet, you may be going ahead to it. I even made that speech this last week at camp, and that is loyalty. Mm. Loyalty may be the most scarce commodity I know of, of personal traits in this day and time. Intelligence, education, even when they talk about honesty, uh, but loyalty. I mean, the the, the willingness to stay hooked. When the, your buddy is is under fire, he's going to lose. He's made a mistake. He's done it wrong, but you stay loyal. Uh, that was something I was always proud of. My, we we sometimes we got the crappy out of us sometimes, Jake, but we would never quit on each other. I mean that that was never a thought that we wanted to go. You know, you guys wanted to go someplace else. Me wanted to go coach some other. No, that wasn't it. Wasn't even a thought, much less something you thought about doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Very true, and that's part of the culture that we talked about and. And the kids bought into that. The students bought into that. And it's, uh, you know, it's not just something that lasts for two years. That's something that has lasted uh, up until today with, with all of us, I really think, Jerry. And it's, that's something that kind of makes it such a special experience for so many of us that are alumni. You know, I want to talk about something that uh, pertains to the team, but uh, it, it might give us a good opening to talk about the camp a little bit, too. Obviously, your camp is um, ran a lot like the judging teams were. Very, very structured, high discipline, high motivation. But I think sometimes people can hear that and they can fool themselves into thinking that it's just a pep rally. Um, It's just all about the motivation. Some people say motivation doesn't really last. You know, it's good for a little while, but it wears off. I love what Zig Ziglar said. He says, yeah, motivation does wear off, but so does a shower. That's why I take one every day. And motivation's a little the same way, but there's something else that goes with it. And on your teams and at camp, uh, you work just as hard at the 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 work ethic. 
and the drive and and getting the job done. You know, we can be strategic all we want and talk about it and get pumped up about it, but at some point we got to go kill it and drive it, drag it back to the cave, right? And right, that's exactly right. Well, you know, and I don't know, Jake, that I even a lot of this stuff that you and some others give me credit for. I don't know that I really thought about that. I just didn't know any better. I didn't have any. I didn't have any other model. My dad worked hard, and my mom was a homemaker. And she worked hard at home. It's like they talk about equal rights, about women and men. I never thought about my mother or about female being subservient or less than me. I never saw it. My mama, my mama worked at home, and I knew she worked at home, but she wasn't subservient or less than. She was great because she was able to do all those things. So. I didn't have to learn. You know, our judging team quite often was at least half, and that's kind of amazing because the world's half women, half men. You know, the judging team was that way. It wasn't that I went out and picked them. It, it just was that way. So uh, the motivation thing, too, is one that I like what a local man here told me, and it came from someone else, that, that people don't care what you know until you know that you care. Mm. And, and the people that, that come to the camp, once you establish that I really care that you are successful, I really care you want to be, we can drive them hard. And if people who haven't seen the camp don't understand it. We drive those kids hard. There's some of the days that, well, I've been to Boy Scout camp. Well, I'm proud for you, but this is boot camp. Yeah. So this is hard. This is tough. And we're going to make it tough. And we're going to tell you the first day, if you just survive four days, you've done really well. And then we're going to spend four days telling you how great you are because you survived it. Oh, by the way, on the way, you're also going to become very successful, become very good at showing livestock. But the other line, I'm talking too much here, but the other line that I sincerely believe that you're talking about the motivation, that the part that is different from the way we do it, maybe than what some folks believe or think. First off, ours is not thin. It's not tinfoil. It's steel. If what we teach you and what we teach you to believe and do, if you don't believe that and do that when you go home, then we didn't do anything. We didn't accomplish not one thing. If when you leave here after four days and you don't continue to do that when you get home, then I didn't, we didn't do a dadgum thing. We didn't accomplish anything, Jake. If you can't go do it every day, so, ah, motivation wears off. Ah, I don't know. Uh, go home and do it because that's when you're a champion. You do it every day. Some of the greatest heroes in the world for me are the, are the moms and dads that go to work and they get their tails up at five o'clock and drive an hour and a half and they work for eight hours and they barely make a living and, you know, they, they still have to get a little assistance maybe to make it. But they go every dad come day. They show up every day to do it, to do it, menial tasks that, that may not be considered by the world to be important at all. But by golly, they go do it. They go do it to take care of their kids and their family. Now, there are some heroes, buddy. There are some folks that are darn sure heroes. Amen. Amen. Very well said. I hope uh, the listeners have got a notebook ready. Maybe we should go back and re-record the introduction to this because you're giving <laughs> us so many good one-liners and people need to write this stuff down and if you're listening to this podcast, I think you can agree now what a teacher Jerry and coach is here, but you're giving us great stuff. I want to pivot just a little bit from talking about motivation to another area that I've admired watching you and trying to learn from you, coach, but that is your ability to um, relate to people and to build relationships. Some people call it networking. I just call it relationships, and I truly don't know anyone that has a better understanding of the value and the power of relationships than you as I've watched you in your life and interacted with you. 
But I'd like for you to teach a little bit on that. And I'll just throw something out here. You tell me if you agree or not. I believe relationships are more valuable than money. You agree or not? Oh, that's like saying people are just more valuable than money. Um, that's the, the thing that has allowed me to survive and to be happy with what I did was that. But I'm a little bit like that going back to the to the capital. And suddenly I'm a little bit like I don't. I don't know that I think about, and this is not politically correct. And it's not what you, maybe what you're going to want me to say, but, but I don't think about building relationships, Jake. I really honestly don't. Uh, I don't think about, I, I, and the word networking and relationships, I hear that in the business world a lot. I hear that at the capital. Well, you got to build relationships to get anything done. You got you to build relationships. And what they do is they go to dinner with and talk to these people so they can get to know them so they can use them for something. Well, no. That's, that's, that's cheap. That's flimsy. So I don't know that I build relationships. Um, there's a lot of folks I know, a lot of folks I really like. Um, but I don't know that I, I think about that. Now, is it valuable? Absolutely. Business that are built on it. The networking, is, is, that's, that's a catchphrase. And the relationships, that's a catchphrase. But, but the folks who enjoy life the most are ones that just see little Freddie or, or big Fred. And gee whiz, you know seem like pretty good folks and and I kind of maybe they had a little bad day and maybe just call them and say hey dude had a bad day let's go get a malt yeah. you know let's just go do something or hey man I, you know you didn't you didn't win at this show but by golly I've seen you work and they're gonna have to do it to you again and if that's what you call relationships and I guess so but like candidly for you folks listening you know Jake and I have a a, a really deep relationship and and I like to think that most of my young people that I had on my judging teams and an awful lot of the ones that come to camp have a relatively deep relationship. And those people have been around more have a deep relationship. But it's not because we're trying to impress each other. It's not because we want to help. It's not because we're trying to get ahead. It's because it's real. I mean, it's just real. It's, it's sincerely, sincere excitement. Sincere excitement when they're excessive and sincere heartbreak when, when bad things happen. Um, so you bet you guys are going to go in business. You better get to know people, learn how to, but when you empathize, when you empathize, it almost makes you more sincere about it. I guess maybe one of the neat things, Jake, for me was I told you all, I wasn't, I wasn't born where we, where I was very smart or very athletic or very good looking or any of that. And we just, and we didn't have a lot of money. So it's easier for me to, it's easier for me to understand these kids that, maybe sat at the back of the room and maybe I moved around a lot when I was a little kid and I had to be the new kid on the block and, and I had to, I was the one that was shunned sometimes, or maybe I was the one that, um, you know, didn't want to be talked to. Um, and at the same time in my life, I've been able to do well in some things where I, I got to be put on a pedestal where I got to be the winner. I got to be the prime guy. I got to be the big guy. And so I know how that feels and I know how all of it feels between those places. So, the good Lord is kind of like I tell you guys a while ago. I got an education. I went to Oklahoma State University, but I got an education at Dodge City, Kansas, and running yearlings out on grass and doing those things. Well, this is a little bit the same way. I, I, I really think that the good Lord prepared me to go to Connor State College and teach. Yes, I went to college, but then I went to the Navy, and then I went to the packing house, and I went to the feed yard, and I could, I could, I had a whole, I, I got a complete education before I went back and started. And started teaching. I think you find the Bible that I think it says in there that 
either no one should be deacons or no one should be preachers till at least 30 years old. Uh, and but don't go to quote me on that. Somebody, if you can dig that up for yourself, go ahead. But you know, I'm, I may, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's in there. Uh, and that's kind of way my deal was. I got a lot of education that, that wasn't formal. And because I didn't have it easy, and yet it's sometimes because I did have it easy, I was able to relate to both ends of that. And that's been extremely helpful for me. I, I would think that, uh, not to put words in your mouth, I would think that would also help you in your ability to relate to these kids at camp. And I want to move to the camp a little bit now, but tell our listeners now, when we talk about camp, I'll set this up a little bit. We're talking about Jerry's Be a Champ show cattle camp that I think is clicking up towards its 40th year in existence. Um, uh, you can correct me, but um, they teach everything, the whole spectrum from uh, feeds and feeding, uh, fitting, showmanship, basic husbandry, traveling to the shows, care the whole gamut, but with a, I think, a deep focus on showmanship. <clears throat> to get us started in this conversation, tell us a little bit about uh, how you started the camp, why you started the camp, and make our listeners a little more familiar with who may not already know what the camp's about, Coach. Well, Jake, I wish you guys could see my face now because I'm smiling from here, kind of laughing as you're saying this. You know, this is going to sound, we're going to share it pretty regular, and I, people who, anyhow, it's going to sound kind of patty cakey, but man, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, it just happened, I, I huh? Wish, I wish I could tell you that I did a, a marketing study, and we did this feasibility study, and we, we did a mark. you know, we, we questioned people, and we said, ah, that wasn't it. Yeah. Uh, I went to Connor State College, and we weren't very well known for anything, and we weren't very good at very much, and I realized pretty soon that I need to have a some kind of something to make people want to come to school at Connors. Also, uh, my kids were beginning to show, and I, I was able to learn, and our neighbors didn't know how to fit their cattle, and so we'd help them fit their cattle and flip their cattle, and then... You know, because I knew a little more than some of the folks in the other days county, well, we'd go to district show and we'd go help them fit their cattle and clip their cattle and stuff. And so then I was gone so much, I had a guilt complex already about not having my own kids. And there was a time when they went in the ring and their cattle weren't ready, but the neighbor's kids were because I'd help them and I really got to get plunk. And that's kind of, I guess, where it started, all those different things about the college needed something to hang its hat on. Uh, I needed something to recruit with. I really wanted to help. The neighbors learned because I'd had my kids had to take a beating because they had pretty good livestock, but we couldn't get them ready and didn't get them ready. So all that stuff kind of, kind of all went together to start camp. And if you'd have told me Jake is going to last more than one year, I told you it's crazy and heck. If anyone said it's going to last forty years, I told you you're absolutely nuts. Uh, you know, it, it's not something that we designed or set out to do or or planned. Uh, it just wasn't. I, I'm sorry, but. Uh, but, but from my standpoint, my life has been filled with that kind of stuff. I mean, just like you guys that came to school there, I mean, gosh, I'm so fortunate to get the kids that I got that just, that just sometimes just showed up. And sometimes maybe I had to go convince them. There were kids that I, you know, that I thought a lot of and I convinced them to come there, but so much of my life has just happened. I mean, you talk about the state, I never thought about being a state representative, Maybe driving from Arizona back over here from a judging contest, it might have come up at 3 a.m. in the morning and there wasn't anything else to talk about. But it wasn't very long-lasting. And and being on TV and with Channel 8 television here in Tulsa and doing that, why, well, heck, man, 
I barely knew how to turn a television on, much less be on television. <laughs> so, and that, uh, it just, stuff just shows up for me. I mean, sometimes I'm going down the road and I'm going real fast and it's dark and Man, a, there's a dead end right straight ahead of me, Jake. It's just dead as it can be. And guess what? I get to that dead end, and you know what happens? There's a place I can turn left and right, mm. and both of them are good decisions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd like to tell you I had all this great plan, and you guys, but now my cousin who decided to be a doctor, he decided in seventh grade he wanted to be a doctor. Shoot, I'm 73 years old, and I don't know for sure what I want to do next year, but I know I want to do something. Still trying to decide what you want to do when you grow I up. I still want to do okay. when I grow up. Okay. Well, I mean, that's pretty cool. I, I think you saw a need, though, and, you, you know, you needed to take some pressure off yeah. and, and help some kids, and, and it started pretty humbly and pretty sincerely. But the fact is that at some point along the journey, you kept doing it, and it and it blew up to the point where, and you can give me the numbers, what is it, something, four or 500 kids sometimes a summer that you guys are able to to teach yeah. and, and to uh, bring through those camps. And so it's gotten to be a pretty big deal. Yeah, at one time, we started out that first year, and, and you're you're right. We planned it, and, and, you know, it's like everything else you do, Jake, and, and the people who are successful in anything. Once we started, we are going to do it well. We just kept on trying to figure out what would make it better, what would, what would be well. And really, the kids tell us an awful lot. The kids know, you know, they know what they need to learn or what they're not getting. And, and if you'll just listen, you know, if people listen to those kids more, it's like they get a kid in eighth grade and, and up there in the state capitol. They want to make every kid in high school take three maths. Well, every kid doesn't need to have three maths, for gosh sakes. You know, it, it, he doesn't need three maths. And that's not because, I mean, that's just a right or wrong thing. But we're, did you ever ask the kid what he wants to do? Well, you know, he's just a kid. Well, he may be just a kid, but he knows that he's not really good at math, so maybe he needs to do something mm-hmm. else besides math. Mm-hmm. So why force feed on that stuff? So. Mm-hmm. You know, you just list those kids quite a bit. And, and honestly, that's why I wasn't going to have it the second year. But some kids see me at shows and they call me up and say, hey, coach, when's camp going to be next year? And I go, oh, we're not going to have camp next year. Right, we're done. You know, I did it. Thank you guys for coming. And then a few weeks later, someone else called, coach, when's camp going to go? We're not going to have camp again next year. That kept on until about April. And finally I said, okay, well, we'll do it one more time. And we had about 50 kids that showed up the first year. And then there's about 75 kids the next year. And then it went to 95, 125. And. Then it went to two weeks and three weeks. And one time we got to five weeks before I went to the state legislature. And we were doing five weeks on Connor State College and do another week or two off at another state someplace. So uh, that's how it happened. And with that, there were so many other good people who came and helped instruct that totally believed in the same system, Jake. Just like you guys. I mean, you and Cammie came back. You know, y'all have been through the system. You've been through the deal. You know what we believed and how we and how much we believed in it. And the people who come and work at camp are the same ones. They've been they've been through probably judging, certainly through the camp itself, and they totally buy into the program. It's a it's a program, and it's it's not something that I designed or that I did anything about. It's something I just had enough sense to quit paddling upstream and, and go downstream like the river wants to take me. So, you know, they set it out there, and here it is, and. Uh, do what you can with it. Well, Jerry, you said something there that I, I love, and it's a term that I love, and that's buy-in. I think any time if you're coaching a livestock judging team or if you have uh, your team leader at work or if you're putting on a camp, whatever it is, 
buy-in is what makes things happen. When everybody pulls together in the same direction for a mutual cause, but that's a lot easier said than done. And as I've observed those camps, and, and look, I'm not trying to flatter you guys. I think anybody would agree with me. But as I've observed those camps, and I've observed the way that you lead those camps and teach the kids, without a true, sincere belief yourself in the things that you're telling and, and asking those kids to do, I don't think they would get the buy-in that they do. And, you know, I'll give this example. And, and if you're a parent of a kid, a kid that's been to camp, you'll know this is true. The first day of the first year a kid goes to camp, he's really not sure if he wants to be there or not, he or she. I mean, it's it's intense from the get-go. This isn't a, you know, ease into it deal. It's a throw you into the deep end and let's go swimming kind of an experience. But I'll say this, by the last day of the camp, you'll have trouble getting he or she back in the pickup to go home. They want to stay and they want to do it more. And there's such buy-in on the parts of those kids. But my point is this, Jerry, and I want people to understand what you do for three or four days at camp, what you teach, what you talk about, it goes the other 365 days a year for you and your family. It's, it's not a let's get pumped up and put on this camp. This is a way of life. And, right. and that can come across, I'm sorry, I'm sure that sounds a little cheesy to some people, but it's really true. And I think that's what's made the judging teams successful. It's what's sustained the camp for 40 years. And just like I talked about, the alumni, the prestigious alumni that Connors and the livestock judging team has put out in, into the world. Let's talk about some of the kids that the camp has put out into the world. And, and certainly we're not talking about the camp taking all the credit for good kids, but my goodness, the kids who have come through there, you've had some talent. I mean, people who are the big dogs now in the business. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's been, uh, you know, and most of them weren't big dogs when they got there. That's most right. Of them were little, little puppies that, uh, they just kind of thought they wanted to do it. But uh, again, my concern, Jake, in this, in this podcast is that people will think that, that I think, or I believe, or my family even believes that we've done anything magnificent. And we really don't think we've done anything except what the good Lord gave us to do every day. Uh, we just, uh, do that as hard as we can, as well as we can. And, uh, liking the kids is really easy. Um, but you're right. We we believe it. I'm not selling. I'm not selling soap. I'm selling something that's, you know. And and we do believe it. We believe that. But if those kids, you know, again, they got to go home and believe they can do it. If, whether it's showmanship or clipping or fitting or whatever it is, if they don't go home and believe they can do it, that we haven't done it, we haven't accomplished anything. And we've been again, we've been very fortunate, and and our style has worked well. But mostly, it's carried. You sincerely care. You know, we push them hard, Jake. You make a good point. I, you know, one of the things I tell the kids sometimes on the first day is, look, if you just survive the next four days, you've had a successful week. If you just survive, and then all of us, all of us who are there, all the whole staff, we spend the next four days telling that kid how great he is because he survived. And if he makes a big landing strip down the top of that cast back when he's clipping it, well, by golly, you know, you're not the first one to do that. Now, this is the way we should have done it. We don't want to do that, but, you know, it's okay. You tried. You did something. Now, I don't want you, you know, this is not, we don't say that's a good thing, but but we're glad you're up here doing it. So let's go over and do this other one and not do that, that way to fix it. And if you've been it's around the camp life. very much, you, uh, the messing up part's not what gets you in trouble. It's the not trying part. Oh, the not trying part's really bad. Yeah. 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 You probably won't like this on your podcast, but I tell those kids that if 
I catch one or sitting on one of those boxes, the longer you sit on the box, the more your butt's going to stink. And I can tell when you've been sitting on that box. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I've heard that speech. Yep. Absolutely. No, it's good. The discipline, the motivation on that's awesome. Now, one thing that you guys spend a lot of time on, and let's talk about this a little bit as, as how it relates to the show ring today. But something that you spend a ton of time on, and really I think one of the most successful areas of the camp, as you measure what kids do after the camp, I think one of the greatest areas of success that you've had is in showmanship. There's a huge emphasis on showmanship. There are hours and hours and hours during those three days spent on showmanship. And um, you're very, very passionate about showmanship. You and I both have some strong beliefs about showmanship. But tell our listeners, why such emphasis on showmanship? You know, you can have a $300 calf or a $30,000 calf, mm, mm -hmm. and you can learn to do showmanship, and you can be better than anyone. That's what the World Championship show was last year that we had. Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted one weekend. It was it was on my bucket list. And if it hadn't been for Jake Scott, by the way, for all you folks out there, that would have never happened. If he hadn't been involved with us on that, that would have never happened. That's what I'm telling you about people. And, and, you know, he can talk about relationships, but that just did it because – because he wanted to come and help and do it. I mean, and, and the other volunteers we had, I mean, no one was guaranteed to pay for anything, nothing. And all the money went back. But, but yeah, showmanship is, is a deal that, that every kid, I don't care what kind of calf he brings or what kind of, he can be the best showman. And if you've got a judge, that's worth two nickels. And sometimes we don't have, there's a jillion people, Jake, that can judge cattle shows. There's probably not a hundred in the United States that can judge showmanship. That it's got to be important to you. You've got to believe in it. And for you adults out there, if you're telling your kids how important showmanship is, you're not putting a thousand dollars in it like you're putting a thousand dollars in for grand championship. You think those kids really believe you? No, they don't believe you because you're putting your money into the cattle, not your money into the showmanship. So make showmanship something worthwhile. If you believe that, if you really believe that, then have showmanship worth something, and have a judge to judge showmanship. Do you, do you hear the soapbox coming on? Have a judge to judge showmanship. <laughs> that knows how to do it, that it's important to him, that he's not ready to go out and jump in his car and go home. He'll stay till 1 o'clock in the morning if he has to, if that's when the show got over at 11. But it needs to be important to those judges too. But, yes, showmanship is showmanship is fair game. You know, Jake, I thought a while ago, sometimes people say, all I want is a fair shot. Well, I'm telling you in life, you don't, you don't get a fair shot. It's not always even and fair. So I want to tell my kids and you, and, and it was what I – I don't say, I don't think I've ever said it before, but I don't want a fair shot. Just give me a shot. Mm. Just give me a shot. Because if you'll just give me a shot, I might figure out a way to beat you, even if it's not fair. And they talk about, you know, like, for instance, football field. Football field is the same size whether you go to San Francisco or Kansas City. But they'll talk about home field advantage. So it's not ever fair. And yet, the field is the same size, the goalpost is the same part, part. Life is the same way. I'm not concerned about it being fair. Just give me a shot. Give me a chance. Turn me loose and turn my kids loose. Just give them a chance. If that doesn't make want... the if that doesn't make the hair stand up on your arms right now, you need to turn off the podcast immediately because <laughs> there's nothing else that's gonna gonna get you fired up. That's awesome. I love that, and I've probably heard you say that before, but um, I'm glad I heard it again. I don't need a fair shot. I just need a shot. That is good stuff. Well, yeah, I'm just brilliant. <laughs> and so and, humble. And if, you, and if you feel like laughing at, if you feel like laughing at that, then you probably don't want that. That's, uh, what that's what I was afraid of on this podcast thing was that, you know, I'm just, I'm not lucky. I've been, 
just had, I've just had so many good folks. I mean, like my wife sitting over there, if, if it hadn't been for her, we'd have never been able to carry this thing out the whole time. She's, you know, she's behind the scenes and she's the one that folks don't know her name. And yet if that girl quits, we're done. I mean, I'm not doing the stuff that she does. Uh, just not happening. So, and, and in here, and for us, it was my family. When we first started, it was Jeff and Jason and my daughter, Ginger and me and Vita. And that's what there was. We watered the arena. We dressed the arena. We hauled all the hay. We set up all the pens. That was, that was the crew. That was the whole crew. And my boys, especially my boys carried that load for years, for many years with Vita for many years, just ourselves. That was what we did. I mean, you know, and then they would have little kids on their baseball team come and help us move all those panels that we had to move and do all that kind of stuff. And the kids that we coach on baseball, they'd come and help us do that, and they'd get a hamburger. And Vito was just talking about, hey, the kids, that, the, the young people we had, Ron Ramming, Dr. Ron Ramming, who's president of Connor State College, he worked for us one summer at camp. And I think those guys made $25 or maybe $50 for the whole week for 12 hours a day, really. So it wasn't because, you know, it, it was because – they understood the system. It was because there was something out there to do, but I'm rambling now. I no, it goes back to that buy-in and, and I, it's such a huge part of it. It's, it's a culture thing and, and it's special, you know, it's, it's, it's really unique. I think it's becoming a little more rare, unfortunately, but, but, uh, things like this can remind us or are a good reminder of the importance of that. I, I want to keep talking about showmanship though, coach. So, Okay. Um, you know, if we're going to measure this stuff sincerely, that camp has, and you have probably cranked out as many state and national showmanship winners as any other one event that a person could point to. And, and certainly the credit goes to the kids for putting in the work, but it takes somebody to show them and give them the confidence. None of us are born with the knowledge on how to do any of this stuff. Somebody taught us all or showed us all or said, hey, don't do it like that. Do it like this. And, and that's what the camp's all about. And in my opinion, you correct me here if you disagree, but in my opinion, a camp can only teach a, a student so much when it comes to the fitting. You know, we can from, give them some confidence, give them the experience, give them the chance to do it. But fitting is, is something, in my opinion, that takes years and years and years and lots and lots and lots of repetition. And you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to figure it out kind of the hard way. And then you start getting good at it. On the other side of the coin, showmanship, when taught correctly, is something that whether we've got our kids out in the backyard tonight doing it or they're at Be a Champ Cattle Camp, that's something we can make huge, huge strides on in a relatively short amount of time. And I, in my opinion, I think that's one reason that you guys put such emphasis on it. But if you want to see dramatic change, we have seen kids that literally didn't know the 101 basic fundamentals of showmanship when they came into that camp that after that camp went on and, and won stuff. They hung banners on the wall. They've got belt buckles now around their waist. Uh, that's the difference that it made. So tell us a little bit about the growth curve with showmanship and just how much a kid has the ability to change and improve in a short amount of time. That's amazing. And that's why we put so many hours into it and uh, into showmanship is because they can see that change themselves and feel it and sense it themselves and and being able to sense it is extremely important, especially when you get further along. I, you and I get asked all the time, well, what did I do wrong or why did my kid do wrong in showmanship? And it's not that they did something wrong. It's just that someone else did it better. It isn't. So, uh, yeah, showmanship is something you do at home. And it is something that as you get further and more experience, you have to experience it to get there. But, boy, you can make so. I've had so many stories 
two years ago, I had kids from Louisiana came up. They came to cattle camp. They'd never shown cattle at all. They never had one of showmanship. On their way home, they stopped at a jackpot show, and both boys won their showmanship. Oh, really? Yeah. Last week, two weeks ago, I had a little girl from Montana. Goes home. She leaves here on, uh, like, Thursday. She goes home, has a show on Saturday. Calls me on Saturday evening and says, Coach, Coach, I won showmanship. I won showmanship. Well, she was a little girl that looked like she had some talent and some ability. And she wasn't really bad when she got here. But she was probably better when she left. But I said, well, that's really great. Really, really great. I'm really proud of you. I said, but I imagine you win showmanships all the time. Oh, no, Coach, I haven't won a showmanship in a year. <laughs> so we get so many good stories like that that makes us feel good. But, you know, we didn't we didn't start with <laughs> – we didn't start with a bad. We didn't start with a bad resource. We started with an awfully good resource when when we went there. But there are so many kids that it doesn't matter how well they do in school. It doesn't matter if they have difficulty learning. I get this stuff all the time on our health forms about someone has ADD or they have some kind of learning situation. That's why for you people out there who are judging showmanship, listen up. You don't need to ask questions. Judge showmanship or have a brain bowl or a quiz contest. But judge showmanship. If yeah. you're not good enough to judge showmanship by itself, then don't judge it. Let them get somebody that is. There 100%. you go. That didn't cost anything extra. 100% agree so, with that. So so these kids these kids that don't do well academically, they, they maybe have difficulty learning what the longestimus dorsi is, or longestimus dorsi, or whoever that is. But but they can learn to show, and they can be as good as anyone. So let them be that good, and judge them on that, because they can be that good. You can't tell that kid that makes a that struggles to make a C from the kid that makes an A really easily when you're in the showmanship deal. So don't be asking dadgum questions on things about, you know, what's the, uh, what proteinases make up the enzymes that break down proteins. Well, flip. <laughs> I don't know anyone that cares. <laughs> yeah, let's show and let's judge showmanship. This actually, that, that actually didn't cost you anything, by the way. I kind of got on my... Might have sound like a Baptist preacher on that. You kind of breezed past it, but you talked about the World Champion Showmanship Contest that was hosted in Shawnee last October, and one of the judges that you brought in to help with that is eminently qualified when it comes to judging showmanship. I think one of the best in the country, and that's Jim Williams from Texas. And I, I think you'll remember this when I say it, and you help correct me on what exactly he said, but he was giving the, the final speech of the day as a uh, selection of the grand champion showman was being made. And he, w he just brought up on his own the topic that we're talking about right now, and that's just why showmanship is so important. And he said something along the lines of, you can have the newest, nicest King Ranch Ford Dooley pickup with all the bells and whistles and the sunroof and the lights and the automatic this and that, and then you can hook up to it a 40-foot trailer that's got five air conditioners and three axles, and it's chromed out, and it's got all the lights, and you can fill that trailer up with, and he went on and on and on and on, and, and the part that tickled me, he said, you can bring five fitters to the show, and you got four fitters on every calf, and one fitter watching the other four fitters, telling them where to fit, and he went on and on, and he said, none of that matters when you get in the ring with your calf. The judge doesn't know any of that. And I think uh, that's exactly what you're talking about when we talk about showmanship. And it is um, as level of a playing field as I think we get to play on when it comes to showing. And it goes back to what you said earlier. I don't need a fair shot. I just need a shot. And in my opinion, that's the place when it comes to showing cattle where everybody 
has got the same shot. And that's exactly what that show was about and what we what we accomplished that day. And I feel like we did accomplish it. Now, again, if that had been for Jake, we'd have never done that. It would have never happen. But when he and I talked, the first guy we called to help come and judge it was Jim Williams because I've seen him shut down a big show, a state show, when the showmanship came in and they were wallowing around and not doing a good job of showing some pretty good heifers. He said, all right, you kids. Y'all need to go right back out there. Your mom and daddy spent lots of miles and lots of money to get y'all some good heifers. Y'all go back out there and come back in and see if y'all don't care a little bit. And I was judging in the other ring, and I shut my ring down and told the people on my side, I said, y'all need to shut it down right here and watch this because you're about to get a lesson. Ooh. I'd like to have seen that. <laughs> that was good. That took some guts. Good. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, but certainly probably need it done. Well, you know, you've seen a lot of, of showmanship in the 40 years you've been doing this now. I'm going to give you a chance to get on the soapbox one more time. Tell us a little bit about some of the changes that you've seen, good and bad. And I think we both have a common pet peeve here. I'm going to set you up for it. Talk about a little bit. Give these folks some some tips maybe on, are there some habits, some bad things that you see going on in showmanship that you think we need to change? Okay. Well, first off, showmanship has a tendency to have fads in it, uh, just like some of the cattle have fads or some of the other livestock have fads. So showmanship has some also has some regionality to it. Mm. Uh, when I went out to judge out in um, California, there were some traits that I saw that most of the good showmen, the ones that really handle the cattle, did that, that I didn't necessarily like. I go to Texas and I see something down there and uh, that some things. And uh, we've had we've gone through some changes, but truly, the whole deal is control your calf and make that calf look good. Uh, that deal about. If it's not functional, if it doesn't serve a function, and that's where I came from, the packing house and, and the feed yard at Dodge City, Kansas, to come and teach animal science, was what's really real. That's like those great big tall steers. Those great big tall steers weren't right. And I knew they weren't right because I seen them in the packing house and the feed yard. So I knew they weren't right. Well, that's like they've gotten this deal now where some people, California and Texas seem to have it worse than others, but they want to turn their back to the judge. The judge is profiling and, and they're profiling cattle. They want to turn their back. Look, why would you do that? That makes no sense. And why would you step yourself in front of your calf? That's one of the two places you can get hurt. You would never step in front of a calf unless you wanted to get run over. So why would you do that? There's no reason. So there's things that don't make a that aren't functional to that deal. And that's something that's not functional. And I, I've talked, and most of the judges I've found agree with that. And we've we've kind of gotten away from that a little bit. Uh, the other thing that I see is, you know, we started we quit scratching them on the belt and go scratch them in the brisket, and I'm okay with that. Except if you watch those kids that do it, almost 100% of them, when they start doing that, as you watch them, picture in your mind now, everyone, as you watch them use the motion of that stick, just before that stick hits that calf in the breast, it goes, whop, and they move it faster. Instead of keeping the same, whop, they thump that steer in the breast. Whop, they thump that calf in the breast. Whop. Well, take your finger and punch yourself in the chest and see how that feels for about five minutes. Yeah, you're mad. It's sore. <laughs> Don't do that, for gosh sakes. And why someone doesn't see it, but... The people that we have at camp, the teach camp, and the people we had at the World Championship show, they study showmanship like some people study cattle. They study showmanship like really, really good coaches study basketball. They don't just study about dribbling the ball. They study about the most efficient pass and, and what's logical, what works, and what doesn't work. And, and our people who were at that show last year were showmanship judges. They were the best showmanship judges, as good a showmanship judge they were in the country because that's what they studied. And that's what they paid attention to. It wasn't just for that weekend. And these kids that are showing, it's not complicated. 
there's a place to stand that's logical where you can get where you can get balanced. You know, if you want your calf to stand up straight, why would you lean sideways? Why would you tilt my shoulder to the side? If you want the calf to be straight and walk correctly, why would you lean sideways when you're leading that calf? You know, if, if you need, there's a logical place. If you're driving a cattle, you know, you're going to be in the back half of the cattle. If you're going to turn a cattle's direction, you're going to be in the front half of the cattle. So if you've got yourself totally in front of your calf, what are you telling me? It's like when you lead a calf, you're trying to get a calf to go. And I see so many people turn around and they face that calf and they've got both their heels set. And they're pulling as hard as they can to look at that calf right in the eyeball. Well, they're, they're, they're non, they're telling that calf don't come forward. They're pulling on his head like trying to pull it off. They're pulling, telling him to come forward. They're looking right here in the eyeball telling him don't come forward. Makes no sense. Just doesn't make any sense. So the things that you do in showmanship should be logical, should be useful, should be what that calf knows to do when he's out in the pasture. And that's like leading him in position. If you lead him in a position, the odds are really good that calf will stand really well. Because that's, if you go out and look him in the pasture, they very rarely stand wrong. They're really standing left or right. They're standing correctly. Just give them a chance. It's kind of like that opportunity I talked about. Just give that calf an opportunity to do what he knows to do. I think a lot of the kids get maybe a little bored and they try and spice it up or, or go for the style points or things. I can remember, and certainly I want to agree with you, that the trend of turning your back to the judge and then looking over your shoulder at the judge is is something that I don't agree with either. And I do think that it's changing, but you know, there were, there was two or three prominent kids that did it and had some success with it and some judges right. that liked it and, and right. it became a thing, right? you know, and it's, it's been harder to stop than it was to start. But I think right. that is getting better now, but I can remember it's so funny. The more things change, the more they stay the same. You saw it at camp. I know you did, but when I was a kid showing in the late eighties, early nineties, what was the thing that they did that probably drove you nuts? You know, when you drive a car when you're 16 and you're trying to be real cool, you got one hand on the steering wheel and then you kind of lean over to the middle. That's the way people showed cattle then when they wanted to be cool. You know, they had that oh, yeah. hand yeah. up in the air and they kind of rocked over to the side. And then some guys would yeah. kind of kick one foot up in the air, you know. Oh, yeah. You remember yeah. that? It was almost like a dance yeah. move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's just. Yeah. It's not the first time that we've seen stuff like this, and it won't be the last time. And no offense to you guys that show a lot of cattle on the open road, but if you want to find some of the worst showmen in the world, <laughs> gee, any Christmas, don't win a showmanship like that, but they can win shows. And there's a difference between going to a show and, and winning showmanship too, by the way. there's a That's not the same, even from setting the cattle up to where you want them, yeah. you know, where you want them placed. Uh, I, we tell the kids, that, and we're really honest with the kids. That's the other thing. We tell the kids straight up, really honest. Okay, if I'm going to go try to win a show, I've got a calf that looks like this, I'm going to do these things. It doesn't matter about his strengths and weaknesses. In the showmanship, we're going to line them up head and tail. We're going to line them up evenly. Uh, other pet peeves are getting out of line. It's trying to set your calf up out there closer to the judge. Mm, these yeah. judges aren't so stupid they can't find your calf. <laughs> yeah. Line yeah. Up. So it's quit being a poor sport. Quit being so egotistical that you think you want to line up there. And quit listening to your jock that tells you to keep on circling out there, for gosh sake. I don't need you circling out there in the ring to see the cap. I can see the cap. Put the sucker line, set him up, we'll get him placed. Well, if nothing else, folks, if you don't get anything else out of this podcast, you just got quite a lesson in showmanship there from a guy who's <laughs> uh, who's got quite a track record on success with showmanship. So what... Uh, uh, kind of wrapping up this part of the discussion, what do you see down the road for camp and, and for shows the next five, ten years? you see anything coming down the road? You know, 
this COVID thing has, has got people thinking about virtual shows. Um, it isn't because I'm not as social savvy as some. I just know that it looks like me virtual shows turn into more of a, a photography contest than a show. Yeah. Um, but but there's some convenience to it, and folks are going to like convenience. Uh, you know, for a long time, we went to the carcass thing, and if we're talking about steers, and that may be the most logical thing as far as that, but I don't see those things happening because uh, folks like the show, that, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. Folks like the show part of it. Uh, cattle are certainly going to change as times change. Uh, you know, back we wanted fat, fat, fat cattle, and we made them lean, 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 and now then we're, we're somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't know that I'm really a good one to ask about the about the future things. You and I both thought cattle got too fat there for a while. I still think the heifers are too fat. I hope that we do that, but it's kind of like we used to show heavily in horses, and they talk about Western pleasure horses going too slow, and they are, and every year you say, well, we're going to speed them up, and every year they say that, and every year they don't. Mm -hmm. So uh, showing truthfully for kids, uh, for livestock people, Anytime you go break a calf to lead, it's not practical. Anytime you go feed one at a time, it's not practical. You need to feed 100 at a time. So don't start telling me about practicalities like you folks down there in Texas. Shear them all off. And that, they asked me what I thought about it. I said, as soon as you can show me in the Bible where it says something about shearing a calf, then I'll go for it. They shear sheep, they shear goats, but they didn't shearing cattle. So, I don't know. Their hair coat, I don't think it changed the winners. In fact, for me, when you went to shear them, Every time you give me another variable, and again, I didn't, I couldn't buy the best stuff, and, and most of all the kids aren't. But if you, every time you give me another variable, you give me another opportunity to beat you. You may have, you may can afford a higher dollar calf than I can. You may be able to hire more fitters than I can. But every time you give me a variable, I can catch you. When you take the variability out of it, then I have less opportunity to catch you. So like I said, I don't need a fair shot. Just give me a shot. And then, you know, then leave it alone. Let's go, let's go play. Uh, I, I don't know, Jake, I, I don't, you're better at that than I am. You and Blake and some of the others are way better at seeing the future than I am. I, heck, I, I'm the guy that just shows up and does what I wake up tomorrow morning. What do you see that's going to be different? Well, I don't disagree that the, it's opened the door for virtual shows. Um, I think maybe as much as anything, it could change the way that we sell some of the cattle. Obviously, internet sales were extremely popular before now, but even um, that was probably pretty segmented to the show cattle business. What we saw in, in our business, which is the Angus business and particularly the bull business, is that we had a lot of people who were having bull sales during the middle of this outbreak of the COVID that were not allowed to have their sale. They weren't allowed to have a gathering, and so they were forced right. to put that online. And right. consequently, buyers who maybe have never, ever, ever bid online were forced to bid online and do their purchasing. And, and anytime you go through that process, you get more comfortable with it, get a little confidence, you you know, you decide maybe that's not so weird and, and goofy after all, and, and you would do it again. So I don't know if it's a good thing. I, I certainly don't think it is, but I think we could see a change in some attendance and some crowd sizes at some of these livestock sales that are still uh, held it in an auction setting where they go through the ring. Um, I think having a, an internet component to those is going to be more important uh, than it ever has been before because I think by uh, default we've got people a little more accustomed to it now. And I'm I'm like you. 
I don't have a good enough crystal ball to say exactly what it's going to be or what it's going to look like, but I feel pretty sure that there are going to be some changes that we see in the next two, three, four, five years that are direct results or side effect of, of what we went through here in the past couple of months. And um, and that was kind of my, my next question. I mean, you've got such a diverse background, too, from your, your time in the television, your time in the, in the feedlots, uh, your time as a county agent. You know, when we get outside the show ring and we talk the beef business at large, um, especially if you're a young kid right now, maybe you're kind of coming into high school, college, you're thinking about what you want to do for a living. I would think, and I'd be curious to know if you're going to agree, I think those kids are going to see a lot of changes in this business. And change by that, I don't mean negative. I mean, there's going to be some opportunities that you and I probably never thought of. Well, and I think this is like you. And you are so well uh, to have the personality traits and the skills and ability the good Lord gave you for, for the kind of thing you're doing right here. But, you know, I would have never thought about anything like that when I was a kid. And I think these young people, I think it's also going to give that kid an opportunity that maybe doesn't excel academically, but has a has really good social skills and has really good skills uh, with the social media and can handle the media stuff really well. Uh, I think those things are going to go are, are going to be really really important. Uh, they can do things that might not have been some of the traits that are important now may be diminished some, and other traits that are just mildly important may increase. Yeah. Hey, I don't know where you're. I don't even know where you're headed next. But <laughs> before you get done, there's a deal about the politics thing that I want to lay on you. So just wherever you think. This Let's do it. Let's but, jump into that right now. Talk to us about that. Well, as as you called me and asked about this, and and I'm, as I've said for you folks out there listening, I think you know that uh, other people inspire you or other people help you to think your way through things, and sometimes. Just like camp, we've had camp for 39 years, and every year we do something different that we think, why didn't we think of that 39 yeah. years ago? Yeah. But I think the politics have become so, you're talking about the cattle business, and you're talking about the shows, and, and, and I hate I hate people thinking that anything's you know political in the shows, but it is sometimes. That's just reality. We even talk about that at camp, about the kids, about after you win, some people may say bad things about you, they and all you got to do is go win. That's just going to happen. It doesn't matter whether you live in Illinois or New Mexico or Texas or Oklahoma. But coming to the politics thing, when I got into the politics, as you know, Jake, I was almost apolitical. Uh, I didn't know I didn't know anything really about what Democrats believed or Republicans believed so much as uh, my daddy was a Democrat, and so I was a Democrat, and we went to Baptist church, so I went to Baptist church. If my daddy had gone to the Methodist church, I'd go to the Methodist church. So I didn't know really anything. But as soon as I got up there, people recognized that I'd been around the rural area and I was, I was pretty well recognized around Oklahoma by rural people. And so the party in charge at the time were Republicans, which didn't make a flip to me. I didn't care. Uh, and they, so they started selling me on the idea that it's not Republican versus Democrat. It's rural versus urban. Mm. Well, that's bullcrap, by the way, just so you know. It's a nice selling point. And it didn't matter they're a Democrat or Republican, they would they would have these kind of concepts. But you know what no one told me, Jake? What really what really upset you about the political thing? No one said, Jerry, it's good versus bad. It's right versus wrong. No one, no one on either side ever said, Jerry, just try to figure out what's right. No one ever said that. That's that's I never enjoyed that as much as some folks enjoyed it. 
Uh, you always think you try to do what's right. But unfortunately, and I don't care where they are, why can't that be part of the conversation? Why can't it be the conversation just, what is, why, is that, why isn't that the conversation? I'm not very smart, so therefore I, I couldn't clap her stuff up. I wasn't smart enough to sort out all that all those things about politics and what one group believes and what another group believes. I, I, I didn't, I couldn't put that in my formula. It's no different than doing a chemical, a chemical deal. If you do a chemical experiment and you get an impurity in there, you can't possibly get the right answer. And unfortunately when we're doing government. We get so many impurities in it that we can't possibly get the right answer. So anyhow, at this, you know, I just want to say that and for you folks that are, that are not serving, you need to keep remembering that and tell folks that and feel that yourself that, you know, what is right and wrong? Because I can guarantee you neither the Democrats nor the Republicans are always right up there uh, at all. But it, it was amazing to me. I just thought of that today, Jake. No one ever told me, get it right. It's just right versus wrong. It's good versus bad. No one ever said that. Ever. Dang. That didn't cost you guys anything extra. That is a non-paid-for political account. <laughs> I'm glad you shared it, though, with the listeners, and it's really timely, and people will be listening to this podcast at all different uh, stages and times, but at the time that this is being recorded, um, we're going through a lot of the race riots and, and problems from uh, the, the death of uh, some of these guys that we've seen videos of, and, and it's an awful situation, but I... I hear what you're saying loud and clear. If if the conversation could turn to what you just said, right and wrong, instead of um, this religion or that, this race or that, this political party or that, I think we'd come a lot closer to solving some problems and moving forward than maybe the way that we're going about it now. And by the way, Jake, it's amazing how close these kids can get to that. <laughs> it's the adults, right? Yeah. The adults yeah. that need to catch up. Yep. Unfortunately, they grow up and become adults. Yeah. Well, that's, that's hope, though. Good. That's hope for our future and the kids, yep. you know, getting, yep. it, getting it right maybe yep. better than, yep. than what the rest yep. of us did. So, well, let's yep. have some fun now. This is going to be a segment that we're going to do in every one of our podcasts. So, this is a new podcast. Obviously, you're a new listener, but this is a segment that really dials in on what we like to do when we're having fun, and that's take our kids to cow shows and go eat really, really good food. This segment is called Stock Shows and Burritos, and that's where we asked our guests to just have a little fun with us, and that's what we're going to ask you to do, Coach. Have a little fun with us. All the shows you've been to, you've, you've drugged your kids around to them, two sons and two daughters, and then you've judged all of them, and, and then you've drugged livestock judging teams to all of them. There's got to be one out of all of them that stands out as your favorite or the one you always look forward to going to every year. Share that with us. Uh, you know, I like Denver because we were so successful there. We won Denver four out of the last six years. I coached the team, so obviously I like that. I love going to Texas because I thought the people were so wonderful and yeah. they were just our folks. Uh, I dreaded. I kind of dreaded Louisville and Kansas City for some reason. I don't know why I did, but uh, but people used to say that the 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 the, uh, t the coaches, the junior college coaches, wanted to make a national contest. They would ask us, "Well, what do you think? The you know where do you want it? Where do you think?" I said, "The most important contest is the one I'm at today. It didn't matter if there's ten teams or three hundred teams. The one I was at that that day was the most important one. And I, I, I'm not being flippant about that. I really believe this is what the good Lord gave me to do today." 
by golly, that's the most important thing I'm going to do my whole life today because I may not do tomorrow and yesterday's already gone. So it's so much, it, it, it's just so much, it's so enjoyable. And, and the people that were there, and so many folks willing to help you. I don't know whether I have a, a favorite show or not. Uh, it might be the McIntosh County show here at McIntosh County. There you go. Doesn't have to be and one of the big go, ones. That's a good point. Yeah. And I don't go, uh, and you're the same way, Jake. I know you are. It doesn't matter what's a big short. If you enjoyed it, when you went and judged it and they invite you back, you'll go. If you didn't enjoy it, eh, you're going to be busy at that time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's it doesn't right. matter. <laughs> that's exactly right. And, and everybody's that's ever right. judged, so the show's probably got their show popping up in their mind right now. That one, they're yeah. like, ah, I'll probably pass on that one. Mm-hmm. Nope. 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 That's they don't funny. Like it, they won't invite you back, by the way, so that's okay, too. Okay, if you know us very well, if you kind of run in our circle, you know that we spend a little bit more time in a restaurant than we do in a gym. And and for me, when I'm on the road, now keep in mind, I live in Gordon, Nebraska. We we want to go out and eat, you choose between Subway and Pizza Hut, and that's about it. So it's kind of a big deal when we get to travel and go on the road and hit a good restaurant. And I love cheap Mexican food. In fact, when we were together down in Shawnee for the for the showmanship show, Shawnee's got some really good Mexican food down there that, that I enjoyed. But you got a favorite restaurant or favorite kind of food that you like to hit up when you're on the road? Well, first, I'm going to remind you listeners that when we first started this out, when you picture my voice, what you're picturing in mind, you pick, picture Rip from Yellowstone, yeah. okay? <laughs> in actuality, I may look a little bit more like Santa Claus as far as my belly is concerned. So my favorite restaurant, no doubt, my favorite restaurant is the one that's open. <laughs> Boy, that is, uh, you can see the politician side coming out now, Coach. No, I can no, see it coming out now. Yeah, no, you can just... You can just see that, by golly. I don't turn down much anything, you know. I, I kind of do. You know, I'm the, yeah. It's kind of like the lady up there in Oklahoma City tried to convince me about eating fat beef would kill you. Eating fat beef, how bad it was for you, you know. You shouldn't eat. I said, yeah, you know, ma'am, I think you're probably right. I said, my daddy, when he charcoal outside, my daddy would, he would get the fattest steak there was. And, and uh, you know, and he, he'd eat that fattest steak. And I said, and sure enough, I said, uh, I think that's what killed him. He died when he was 96, but I think that's <laughs> If only he could do it over again, right? That's yeah, funny. Right. That's hilarious. Well, we just want to thank you so much for your time on here, Coach. Um, it's it's awesome some of the, the things you've shared with us. I'm motivated and inspired just listening to all this and getting a chance to talk to you. And that's kind of the way it always is, though, when we're around you. I want to ask you one serious question before we wrap up and leave. And and I'm going to try and ask this of all our guests as we go through these podcasts. But if you could go back in time somehow and you could talk to an 18-year-old Jerry McPeak, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give him? Jake, I love the question. And, and thank you so much for allowing me to do this. Uh, you guys humble me so much, you young men and women who have been part of my life and are still part of our lives, mine and Vita's and Jory's and Jason's and Jeff's and all my family, uh, you guys are so humbling because y'all are so much more than what I was at your stage. And I'm so proud of you, all of you. you. You've been great. I wish I had been at 18. I wish I had been more aware of how much I could control my life, how much I could decide this is what I'm going to do. And I could make up my mind and just go make it happen. I don't think I knew that. I didn't have any training that way, except I was, on the other hand, I was brought up that way. I was never felt like there was, if we went out to do something, I never was felt like I couldn't do it. 
uh, when I played baseball, if the pitcher was going to pitch, I felt like I was going to get a hit. I feel like, you know, I can probably hit this thing. If I should have shot a free throw, I never shot a free throw that I didn't think I could make. Uh, so maybe I had it brought up that way, but but I didn't know that's what was happening. So if I could go back at a young Jerry McPeak, I wish young, young Jerry McPeak knew, uh, knew about that, knew about controlling his life more and, and being able to um, just set your jaw and, and, and go do it. Even though I was raised in an environment where I really did go, we had a lot of success in a small way. Um, I wish I could have programmed it, I guess, is the word that I have uh, for that. But I wish I could give kids, I wish I could give people the contentment that I have in my life. Um, discern between happiness or discern between funny and fun and happy and contentment. Uh, I've been so fortunate to be content in the things and yes, I changed a lot of jobs. I had a lot of opportunities. Um, but I wish I could make people feel the ease of life that has been fortunate enough for me to have nearly all of my life. And, you know, I didn't struggle. I wasn't, I didn't have to suffer from hunger. Uh, yeah, I had patches on my jeans and holes in my jeans and my shoes sometimes, but, uh, you know, it, it, I wish I could just give people the contentment that I have, that I learned and I had as I grew up. That's uh, if I could give any of you anything, that's what I would, that's what I'd give you. I think you can hear it in his voice as he speaks. A lot of peace comes from that contentment, um, no doubt, and the ability to be content in a lot of different situations, which you've demonstrated, obviously, the ability to do with a, a wide variety of different careers in your life and being able to get something from each of those and be content and learn from them and, and use it to your advantage at the next one. That's, I think it's great advice. That's awesome. We appreciate you sharing that. Well, thank you. And you need to understand that sometimes in your life you, you have motivators that may not be, for instance, my wife's slogan is, <laughs> my wife has a slogan this summer for me, but she just told me I can't say it. So oh, no. <laughs> Come on, Vita. <laughs> Well, we need well, something we've neglected to do is talk about your wife a little bit. But uh, Vita McPeak, uh, your daughter Jory, sons uh, Jeff, Jason, and now grandson Jace—all very, very involved in in what you guys do there. And sh certainly want to recognize them and give them a ton of credit and a ton of recognition too. Hey, on that line, seriously, my last few years of my life—that's my goal—is for people to understand that. If it had not been for the sacrifices that my family made, my sons and daughters and my wife, Jerry McPeak wouldn't have done anything. And that sounds corn-pone, but I'm telling you, they're the ones that made the sacrifices. They're the ones that when they were seven and nine years old, they fed the cattle at home themselves because I was going off on some judging trip. And they're the ones that, you know, when the cattle got here at home and there had to be calves pulled and I was in the state legislature, Jory and Vito were out there in midnight in the, in the cold freezing weather pulling calves and so uh, yeah jerry had done a whole lot but jerry had done a whole lot but my family is my family has sacrificed way more than way more than jerry has way more than jerry has i've been the recipient not the giver well coach i want to thank you so much for being on the program today and i want to tell our listeners if you want to learn more about jerry mcpeak and especially those camps be a champ show cattle camp they got a fantastic website full of information. You can download 
entry forms if you'd like to send your kids to it. And by the way, I recommend it. I'll be sending my daughters to it. But their website is www.beachamp.com. Again, www.beachamp.com. And I don't care if they're just getting started or if they've been doing this five or six years. They have progressive levels through that camp, and, and they tailor the teaching to the kids' experience and the kids' age, and I guarantee you they'll get a ton out of it. You'll be glad that you did it. But Jerry McPeak, thank you so much. Uh, I think we've got our money's worth and more out of this interview today. We really appreciate your time. I'll give you the last word. Jake, thanks a bunch. I'm so proud of you and so many of the other folks, the Bid Chamber kids and the kids that judged and the kids that just came to school at Connor State College that allowed us to stay connected with you. It's a great world. I live in a great America. It's never changed for me. You guys, I wish you could experience the way I have. And I think most of you have. We've got to live in a great, great world. We're very, very fortunate. Thank you. Very well said. Thanks for being on Cattle Pros. And folks, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.